Welcome to RDI's Biz Over Brews podcast, coming to you live with a panel of subject matter experts here to share their insights on today's trending topics in business. This episode is brought to you by RDI Corporation. RDI is an outsourcing partner for Contact Center, Consumer Insights, IT, and Digital Services. To learn more about RDI, head over to rdicorp.com and check us out. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Biz Over Brews podcast, where each episode is an MVP panel discussion. I'm Stacy Dye, Head of Consumer Insights with RDI and your host for today's event. In this episode, I have the pleasure of interviewing executive panelists who share their winning smart approach to customer experience. You'll learn about CX and customer journey mapping and hear real-world examples on how to achieve cost savings and make an impact on business decisions through CX management tools, resources, and more. All right, fantastic. Well, we have an awesome panel here today. I'm super excited to talk with them about customer experience. Um, So before we get started, I'm going to have them introduce themselves. Um, John, I will have, I will start with you. Why don't you go ahead and give uh, an introduction? Hi, so John Steger, uh, currently with Centrifuge, so working with startups all over greater Cincinnati, but probably of more interest before I came here two years ago, um, I led marketing at two different software companies. So one in conversational AI out in San Francisco, and then a small uh, customer service CRM, uh, an analytics company up in Columbus. Uh, prior to that, I spent 10 years at Procter & Gamble, where at different times I led all the contact centers in the Western Hemisphere, um, all of our social media execution and measurement globally, um, some other different kind of analytical work streams and, and places where consumers and marketing came together. Uh, before that, I was at Gillette and uh, management consulting. So I've been working kind of in and around the space, either in operations, analytics, systems, you know, since uh, the early 2000s. Excellent. Thank you so much, John. We appreciate you being here. Um, next, Shelly, I'll have you introduce yourself. Shelly is somebody that we know very well at RDI, and we're so appreciative of you being here. Yeah, thanks, Stacey. Um, I'm grateful to be here. Thanks for asking me to join. Um, this is just a chance for me to get together with friends that I adore. So this is awesome for me. Um, I am Vice President of Operations for the National Contact Center for Sedgwick, a third-party administrator for um, claims. It can be worker claim, um, disability leave, etc. cetera. Um, we manage a uh, a pretty large number of Fortune 100 and 500 companies as clients um, and take uh, probably about 30,000 calls a day. So we have an in-house center, um, and so that's my focus at the moment. And previously, I was actually with RDI, so that's part of why I'm so thrilled to be here. I was on Tim's team, so he taught me well so that I could fly off and do this next thing, but glad to stay in close touch. And I have had tons of experience in the contact center space, like John um, and a lot of other people here working on the contact center side, either with the client, like S.A. Lauder, Dollar Shave Club, Nestle, um, and also working on the vendor partner side. So um, very passionate about customer experience, really grateful to be asked to talk about it. It's one of my favorite topics. 
Excellent. So excited to hear what you have to share today. Um, And then last but not least, our very own Tim Hellman. Tim, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah. Good afternoon. Tim Hellman, VP for Client Services with RDI. I spent a majority of our time working with our clients on the RDI Connect that Josh talked about, looking to make sure that we're not only delivering on the expectations, but we're exceeding we're new areas where we can see value. And as Shelly might tease me every now and then, that revolves data. How are we looking at the data, understanding it, and drawing, drawing the right correlations that allows us to make decisions. Before RDI, uh, I was with Macy's and Bloomingdale's for about 25 years in their contact center space the entire time, uh, just dabbling in everything related to that business from credit to .com to retail, whatever that might, might be. From a CX perspective, uh, huge fan of it. Uh, had a chance to get certified in NPS through Sat Matrix, as well as Lean Leadership and also uh, Black Belt in, in Six Sigma. So very happy to be here. Love the topic, excited about the topic and very appreciative to share some ideas and learn too. Excellent. Well, thank you everybody for being here. I think we have um, three people with fantastic backgrounds. So I think there will be a lot to share here. Um, Jen, we have a question in the chat about um, whether this will be um, recorded and sent out. Do you want to go ahead and respond to that? Um, yeah, I put it in the chat there, but it it will be recorded and it will be put into our podcast and you can find it at bizoverbrews.com. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. So with that, let's go ahead and get started with our questions. Um, And first of all, I just want to kind of level set um, why we're here today and really what we're kind of talking about. Um, And to do that, Tim, I'm going to start with you and just ask you a couple questions. Um, One, what is CX? What is customer experience? What are we kind of talking about today? Um, and then what is customer experience management? What is that process? Yeah, good question. Uh, from my perspective, when you, when you look at CX experience, it's really that perception, because sometimes reality is different, but it's a perception that customer has about your organization related to their experience. You know, those interactions and those touch points, how all that comes together that from beginning to end creates that feel at the end of that transaction, that emotion at the end of that transaction that if done well, leads to buy again, or leads to refer others into that. That's how we traditionally looked at it. I know there's other ways people might take a look, but in general, it's that feeling of how I see how you serve your customers. And we go back to that emotion at the end of um, if if it's great or not. Okay. And then um, there's this thing called customer journey mapping um, that kind of helps us understand the customer experience. Um, Can you talk to us a little bit about customer journey mapping and what that is? Yeah, so the journey is the steps that each one goes through, whether it's your customer or yourself as a customer. What are those those processes that you take from where you begin your interaction, whether it could be purchasing to when you finish or even post-purchase type of experience? The mapping part, a little geeky, but I love it to where you're actually doing a process map of each step of that interaction. And in some cases, it even goes before that purchasing point. It could go into the advertising point. What brought me into that channel? Was it 
Was it a social media? Was it paper media? Was it an ad or was it word of mouth? A lot of times we miss the word of mouth and, and the opportunity to, to place a value on that. But from that point of the interaction, whether it's purchased, what are those extra steps that in some cases is cognizant to the customer or not cognizant, like fulfillment. In some cases, we might miss that fulfillment that if we right way, it can create a negative part inside the journey. And then it carries through to any other type of interaction point. If they have to pick up the phone, mail, chat, to follow up on a question or if there's an issue, and then it carries forward until you have the final resolution. The biggest value that we've seen in customer journey mapping is when you attach a value to each of those stages, then you get an opportunity to quantify where you want to make your investment and CX improvement. Sometimes it's not always on the phone interaction, if you will, sometimes the bigger value is a little bit more upstream where you really get the higher, higher ROI and higher NPS. So those values can be financial or can be qualitative in terms of uh, NPS, CSAT or whatever else that, that it might be. So a little long-winded there, but a critical part in the CX experience is mapping out what it is today, assigning a value to what each section is that today and then you begin your strategy of where you want to go and how you want to get better aligning with your overall CX vision. Got it. I love it. And as a fellow data nerd, I think it's fantastic and something that everybody should be doing. So <laughs> we do have a, a data geek club. We'll post that later on. Right. Exactly. Awesome. For anybody that wants to join. Sign me up. There you go. <laughs> Actually, just to pile on to the importance of measuring it outside the context and are looking at it. Um, when, before I came here, when I was at a conversational AI startup, right, we had built tools that would ingest and analyze statistically a kajillion uh, customer conversations. And, you know, typically to help uh, contact centers understand pain points and improve them. But looking at all that data across all of these different interactions for different clients, you know, the things that actually like made customers the most angry. So we were able to predict NPS within conversations and then ladder that up. What were things that actually had to do with uh, kind of the congruence of people's experience, both in a contact center or in a contact and outside, right? So of the, the top five, they were things like warranties, promotions, inconsistent messaging between the contact center and advertising, so if you're strictly looking at CSAT and contact handling and just kind of measuring, you know, from the phone switch, you know, through after call work, right, you would, you would actually miss a lot of the root causes and, and pain yeah. points. Mm-hmm. 100%. All right. Um, so now we're going to talk a little bit about um, the actual customer experience, how you guys are managing the customer experience, how you guys are trying to make the customer experience better within your organizations. Um, and Shelly, I'm gonna to toss this first one over to you. So how are you focusing on the customer um, at the leadership level among your leadership team? Um, well, I mean, I'm fortunate to say that our CEO has actually kind of emphasized this company-wide. This is this is a huge part of what we are supporting as an organization. It's about the colleague experience, the customer experience, and about growing the business. So it comes straight from the top. Like, I mean, he has emphasized this to cascade out to the other parts of the organization. So it is clearly a priority and one of our top three pillars. So 
for us, that's a big part of it. And again, we've got some pretty significant named clients um, that come to us to not only manage issues that occur. I mean, you know, when you're filing a claim, it's because typically something not great has happened in your life. Mm -hmm. So the customer experience is really critical because some of the intake, if you want to call it that, can get very scripted or almost kind of like rote, like you're just filling out a form, right? Um, and you're still trying to offer a positive experience, even knowing that the whole goal is to take all of this information and get this person the through the process and get them what they need. So, but I, like I said, I mean, for us, it's, it's something that is talked about all the time. It is just part of the lexicon of the organization. Um, and I think talking about the customer journey, you know, some of the things that, that John and Tim were mentioning, you've got to recognize that as well so that you can emphasize it as a focus and understand what it means to value a customer, um, what does that experience look like on the customer side, and then also how do you measure it internally for the agent side, for example. You know, you're measuring the feedback you get from the customer about their experience, and then you're measuring the experience that the agent is having. And hopefully those two things put together are going to drive it. But it has to be a priority for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Tim, I'll toss the same question over to you. Um, at RDI, how are we at a leadership level focusing on the customer experience? I think what Shelly shared is, is spot on. From our organization as well as others, you know, from the CEO on down, how do you make that a priority? Um, people react to. So while yeah, metrics drive behavior, so uh, so does senior level direction. And, and when you marry that together, you really get a chance to, to get some traction. I think Shelly talked about what I took away is how you can personalize the experience to your team and to your leadership team matters. Um, whether it's in the healthcare space, I mean, what, or in a financial services space or in a retail space, what your team is doing to improve the CX matters because that customer, frankly, is giving you money to take a product from you or service from you. And if we fall in delivering on that, it's kind of crazy, right? How do we react when we're a customer and something doesn't, something goes awry? And then how do we also make sure that our customer doesn't have to go through those same things? So it is a, without a doubt, a top-down approach that gets the mindset of saying, well, how would my customer think about this? And in our case, we play both roles. You know, how would, how would our client programs support this or how would their customer react to this? And look at champion both sides of that. It's actually, I get a little geeky here, it's actually pretty noble when you're thinking about we're trying to advance and better the ability to do, interact and do business to where there's a, a great feeling at the end of that chain. Makes sense. So we can talk about, you know, setting the stage for what we want that customer experience to be like and kind of at the leadership level, how we're going to drive that. Um, and I want all three of you to kind of comment on this question, but then how do you, um, and, but John, I'm going to start with you. How do you then communicate the importance of that, um, across the organization in terms of what those goals are for the driving the customer experience? 
Yeah, and it, I guess it depends on which part of the organization, right? So if it's the organization that manages this work day to day, that's one kind of set of messaging and that we all are pretty good at. Um, if you're looking at a broader business, the answer I think is it depends, right? In some kinds of companies, and Shelly, it sounds like where you are, service is like this much of the business, right? In terms of you talk to this much of the customer base and this is like at the absolute core of what you're selling. Right. And I've mm -hmm. worked in those yep. kind of businesses, but I've also worked in like goop in a bottle, right, where, you know, CX is something people would care about, but they're caring about distribution, logistics, advertising, quality, upstream product innovation. And like what we would call CX, yeah, right. You have to help people kind of think about why that matters. And the most powerful, you know, tool for doing that is to get really specific in measuring um, the value of what you're doing, not in your terms or even in NPS scores, because in many organizations, nobody cares, right? Mm -hmm. um, and if it hasn't been adopted by the whole company, then that's like, great. So what's it worth? How many dollars should I spend to go from seven to nine, right? And can you answer that question? Because ultimately kind of, you know, across a business, the common denominator is money. So you need to be able to kind of effectively quantify the value of good experience, bad experience, Experience, one interaction, kind of the work of the whole department. Because at the end of the day, right, is it, should we devote zero dollars to what you do or like a hundred billion kajillion, right? And being able to answer that question in a, in a profit-driven way, the same way that, you know, people in the manufacturing plant, marketing, and everybody else answers it is super important. And how we do that is a long conversation and varies by business. <laughs> but but posing that question to yourself, like, is, uh, I think, a really important exercise before anybody else in the business asks you. Because, you know, should we just shut down, fire all of you and send, you know, all of the calls to the Philippines and have one person internally that manages it, right? Tell me why not and give me a good fact-based profit and loss reason why not. It's an extreme example. So Tim, Shelley, what would you add to that in terms of um, how to communicate your goals for customer experience out to the organization? Shelley? I mean, I think, I think the proof is in the feedback and in what people say that they took away from the experience. So when you talk about goals, I mean, in our case, we're measuring things like quality, CSAT, customer sentiment. Um, and so those give us some data points to kind of reflect what's being fed to us in terms of people's experience. But I think the goal is that you want to resolve whatever it is with as little effort as possible on the, on the side of the customer, right? Like, if you're looking at things like what is going to create a really negative experience, a negative experience is when somebody has to call you five times to get their thing resolved, right? Like that's, so that's something you can measure, but it's also something that talks about the number of hoops that a customer has to jump through um, when it comes to getting something resolved with the service or the product that you offer. So I think when you're communicating goals, you want to, at a high level, you want to say the goal is a positive customer experience. And here are the things that go into making that happen. 
And then here are the ways that you can actually track and measure and trend those things. So um, it can get a, to be a pretty involved conversation, but I think there's a way to frame it so that there's the qualitative piece and the quantitative piece, and both are hugely important from the customer point of view, that is. Yeah, and John, I noticed that you typed um, in the chat that you like the customer um, effort score as a useful concept. And I know, Tim, we talk about the customer effort score quite a bit. We were just talking about it yesterday with one of our clients. Um, do you kind of want to comment on how that's been useful, um, how you've seen that as being a useful tool? Yeah, I've seen CES 1.0 and 2.0, where the first one was uh, on, a, on a scale of one through five, would you agree that your experience had low effort or high effort? And they score on that. The second one, which came on later, was on a one through seven scale, which changed the word from effort to easy. How easy was it to have an experience with us? And if you think about how those questions are set up, it really looks to say, yeah, if I got a follow up on a transaction, I shouldn't have to work to give you my money you should work for me and make it an easier process. And to kind of piggyback on the other call from a leadership perspective, I think the opportunity we all have is how are we reinforcing the vernacular of the vision? Meaning when we take out the vision and say, or we push out the vision and says, we want a customer experience like this, world-class, best in class, whatever that might be. How do we reinforce that in our daily interactions? Specifically, hey, do we have a hundred calls that we took yesterday, or did we talk to 100 customers yesterday? And almost starting off those meetings for all sub-departments saying, tell me about our customer experience today. Well, pick, pick a category, pick a department. It goes into, here's how many customers we interacted with. Here's how many we solved successfully. Here's how many we missed. The point there isn't to look for failure, but it's just to remind ourselves that why we're here and what we're trying to solve for and that there's value in that, whether you quantitative it, measure it, and John talked about, or could be in, in, in repeat sales. The last thing I think one of the, that I found was impressionable in growing up is when we were in decision-making meetings with all the chairs in the room, I know it's different nowadays. So with all the Zooms that are out there, you had an empty chair, that was the customer. So in this case, you had an empty Zoom session, that was the customer. So as you're making your decisions, you would almost look over to your chair and say, well, how would Mrs. Customer react to that? And let's talk about that. So the whole goal is taking your, your strategies and your vision, and we've got the measurements there, but in execution, it's top of mind, like brand marketing, right? And this is a reflection of our brand. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Josh just posed a question to me in the chat. And Josh, you might want to chime in if I don't. Um, yeah, no, you're good. There was, a, there was a question that uh, we were going to ask, and Somebody much, much wiser than me once said that customer experience will never exceed employee experience. And I was curious, um, is, that, is that a real thing in uh, the panelist's role? Um, and what are you guys doing about that to treat employees kind of as, as your customers? Is that for us, Josh? Anybody well, else? Yeah. Let Shelly answer that one. Yeah. Yeah, so... I'm, I'm really glad that you asked this because again, you know, at, at my company, it's, it's one of the three things that is, you know, a directive from the top to say, we're focusing on the customer experience. We're focused on the colleague experience. Those are the top two priorities for the entire organization. And within that scope, we have a lot of things that we do to try to drive 
at least acknowledgement of that fact, like values and actions recognitions. Um, there is a quarterly SOAR award, which is a standing ovation award that's given out. These are things that are broadcast widely um, and that it's really sort of at, at every level of the organization very encouraged to offer kudos to your colleagues and your coworkers. Um, there are also a bunch of levels of recognition around achievement um, with the customer experience. And it's also baked into the day-to-day, -day, right? So the colleague experience really starts with the recruiting process, moves into the new hire experience, and then goes into the production experience for the colleague, at least for the National Contact Center. So we're taking each of those components and layered in with those components are things that are intended or built to um, emphasize or enhance the, the colleague experience. So I think you've, you've got to be really intentional about it. And to say, you know, I mean, we've all heard this expression, you know, this isn't just a butts and seats type environment, right? Um, you're not just clocking in as a number and just cranking through calls. There's more to it than that. Building in career paths, and kind of emphasizing this isn't just a job, this can be a career for you. And here are all of the things that you're gonna get rewarded for and that will increase your level of engagement. So to, to copy Tim, that was probably more than you wanted to hear, but um, it's obviously a big topic where I work. So um, it's a big and, deal and I appreciate the question. Yeah, and I'm curious as to John's answer as well. And Tim, I'll obviously have you comment on RDI's culture as well, because I think it's important to speak to that, but I'm curious to hear John's answer as well. Yeah, and man, so, and I've led through a lot of contexts, and, and I mean, when I was a management consultant, I did several contact center projects, and I was a lot like a combination between the Bobs in office space and George Clooney and up in the air, although not as good looking. Um, <laughs> Right. And that's kind of the nadir, right? The bottom, right? There's nothing wrong with working with a third party call center. In a lot of ways, frankly, if you're a, a company where that's not a core competency and you're going to have a switch that nobody even knows how to run anymore, like this is a good thing. But the transition from one state to another for pain for employees, obviously, is really painful. Um, and, and in a department, you can only deviate so far from how the total company treats employees, right? You can build fantastic leadership, good coaching, you know, great relationship with manager principles into your organization. But like in an unhealthy company or, a, you know, like you can only be so much better than, than the average. Um, I think I think at the end of the day, you know, it's it's communicating the, you know, sort of how things will be and then holding yourself to that that standard. And it's going to kind of match the way the company is and the overall culture. And you can try and be a little better. You can push the company to be better, but you certainly don't want to be worse. That's, um, you know, I've had in-house contact centers where nobody would ever leave because we had like fantastic retiree benefits. And then I've had third-party ones where we made mistakes and we had huge turnover and the people didn't feel valued. And structurally, it was our fault because we had negotiated a contract that incented our, our partner you know, to manage it in a way that wasn't really consistent with the outcomes we wanted. And so, 
you know, while we may have pointed fingers, ultimately this was entirely our fault because every, you know, every decision that got us there was ours. It's not as good as answers, Shelley's. No, I, I think it's an honest answer and I think that's important in these forums. So um, Tim, do you want to comment on how we partner with our customers to kind of um, build that employee experience and ultimately the customer experience? Yeah, I think um, Josh kind of started it well when we talked about we're a, a family owned business and around that nucleus, I think has been really critical. So the culture we brand as earn, learn, and live well, which just means we, everyone gets a chance to earn um, a good compensation package. But learn, this is where I think you're investing in your team and saying, we want you to get stronger. We want you to get better with whatever path you want to choose. So whether those are financial courses, Excel courses, speaking courses, how do we invest in you to be a stronger uh, performer in your current role, but more importantly, your future role that aligns with your, your career goals. And then live well. We want to make sure that people have that opportunity to, to be happy, not only inside the working environment, but also at home and live in a successful, healthy life is critical when someone comes in, you're asking them also to represent their brand. So when you tie in that type of culture, it's great, but when you execute it, I like to use the word, I think our founder uses the word happy, which I agree 100%. You want to bring in people who are happy because it's tough to train people to be happy if you're not generally there. there there's bigger things to solve for. You can always train on proficiency, but not always on behavior. So if you can, you can bring that in, that's a great start. But then part two, looking around and seeing the leaders that are there. How are we creating that environment where you're touching that happiness or that fun emotion when it comes in? I should enjoy coming in. I should enjoy coming and doing my, my job. And if I'm not, let's talk about it. During the day, I should feel a sense of accomplishment that I'm contributing to something bigger than I am. And then number three, it's awesome that if I can go home and brag and think about any type of inbound work that's coming today, that can be tough to do, but really in some cases it's not. So how are we messaging to our team that as you go home, you can talk to your, your significant other, your, your children, whatever that might be, and say, I did this today. And pick anything that could be, we'll, we'll take Shelly's world and, and, and health claims. I helped someone overcome difficulties in their claim that got their medical expenses paid. That's pretty cool. So we go from a widget to a, to a customer to I'm a high valued contributor in a sense, that's fun. And that makes me want to come back the next day. So I think it's how we pull all that together. And from the RDI perspective, we embrace that around the word family and the elbow that we talked about. So that way uh, you're getting strong teams that with tenure, we know the value that comes out of tender outside of the retirement packages. But outside of that, you know the value of tenure. All right. Um, that was a great little turn there, Josh. Thank you for that question. Um, and Deb, thank you for the book recommendation. I will check that out as well. That sounds interesting. Um, so gonna change channels here a little bit again. Um, and John, you touched on this a little bit earlier um, in terms of just costs of um, building the customer experience and that sort of thing. So you know, I think a lot of companies think about um, the customer experience and they think about, you know, in order to get better with my customer experience, there's going to be some investment that I'm going to have to spend in that. It's going to be expensive to provide a better customer experience. Um, do you have examples, any kind of real world exp examples where 
you've actually seen cost savings from providing a better customer experience. And can you share any of those? And also, I think all three of you are actually nodding your heads. Um, so any of you jump in and uh, feel free to share and I'll let all three of you um, share there. Yeah, I, I mean, ideally, if you're looking at customer experience holistically, fixing broken stuff that creates cost in the form of returns, warranty claims, calls, like that reduces expense, right? You know, it takes some discipline to measure it, but that's that's hugely positive, particularly companies that have a re reverse logistics component, a warranty component, you know, the cost of taking something back from somebody and disposing of it is just awful, right? I mean, and then you wind up with warehouses full of crap that nobody wants and you can't sell again and you have to pay somebody to get rid of it and you paid to replace it. Like, absolutely, that's a cost savings. Um, you know, if you're talking just within, say, a customer care organization, um, sometimes you have to create your own savings to, you know, create room for investment in other places. And, and I've always thought about, you know, what, what can you get rid of that customers don't care about to give them more of what they do care about? Um, you know, and whether that's, I mean, we all used to talk about, are you, how are you doing serving customers? Like you start with like service level. Oh, well, you're only running like a 70-30 service level. We're like 80-20. And at the end of the day, like nobody cares. Like customers don't actually care about that, but that's a really expensive thing, right? So by cutting that to invest in somewhere else, you know, at a decent-sized contact center, um, that's, a, you know, a place where you can create savings by something people don't care about so much that you can spend then in other places. Tim, Shelley? I agree. And both things you mentioned, John, are spot on. Sometimes we do get wrapped up in service levels thinking that that is the best CX. And there could be some value in some verticals where that's true. Um, 911 would be a good example, right? You got to answer the phone right away. But um, in other ones, there's a patience level. And if you can identify that, you're not you're not hurting your, your CX. You're actually doing what they expected. And... Um, delivering a little bit of extra savings. And the example I had in the retail space was everybody knew what Black Friday was. Everybody knew they had to wait on hold for Black Friday. So do we staff to our non-peak service levels or do we staff to two days out of the entire year where everyone knows you got to wait and we can make a more efficient decision in that way? Well, I also like what you talked about is the upstream, which could be measured in a cost to serve. When you do have a friction point where the customer has to call in, a lot of times we just think, well, it's the cost of the agent. No, if I have to waive a delivery fee, if I have to accept the return or I have to waive a credit card fee or whatever those, or I send a gift card, all of those are costs. And all of those are costs that are created by the defect of making a customer call because the CX wasn't, wasn't perfect. So you now have an ability to quantify those defects that's not biting into your payroll, which is usually the traditional path that, that people tend to go. So you're spot on there. And I think it goes back to data, but also utilizing that information on the waste that's being generated because you made your customer to call in. That's, you know, I'd say you mentioned Six Sigma and I was only a green belt, so you could beat me up in, a, in the alley. But, but the, my favorite part of Six Sigma was not the measuring Sigma levels. It was defining 
the CTQs, right? The critical, right. the quality things your customers Costa, yeah. actually Costa care about. I think yeah. that was the, the, the single favorite concept out of all of Six Sigma. Yeah, cost of quality is an amazing thing, but um, in the call center, we pivoted a cost to serve, but yeah, it's, it's the same thing. And uh, no worries. Actually, I got your back on if you need any six. Appreciate that. Yeah. This has just gone in a strange direction. All right, Shelly, I'll toss it over to you. <laughs> I have I'm no idea that why that would be. Too. I'm just happy that I have a green belt. I mean, I can be part of the club. That's cool. That's right. That's right. Um, I think, I think, you know, there are a lot of different ways to talk about cost savings. I mean, at a high level, when you're talking from the brand perspective, I mean, think about the fact that it takes, it costs you five times more money. And this is just one of those statistics that floats out there, but five times more money to acquire a new customer than to retain the ones that you have. So, you know, as, you're, as your companies are looking at marketing spend, and the customer journey map and that sort of thing. Part of that effort is really around how do you keep the customers that you currently have if you're a brand? If you are an outsourcer or a vendor partner, like some of us are, we're looking at things like operational efficiency and keeping that level of effort low for customers, right? So, you know, Tim and I are very familiar and have had many, many hours of conversation around identifying that champion call. Like what is that textbook perfect call that created a really positively reflected customer experience and how long did that call take? So when you're looking at things like AHT, because that's a very costly metric, the longer your calls are, the more people you need, the more costly it is. So if you can get yourself to a place operationally where you're looking at things like what is the ideal AHT that delivers on the highest level of satisfaction and incorporates those quality elements, you know, there's your money in the bank. So it does have to do with, with measuring things and kind of talking and you've got to establish what your baseline costs are. Right. Um, and what kind of, things you're trying to achieve when you're looking at things like this, but there are lots of ways to consider it. And I think, you know, going back to our Six Sigma friends, you know, what, what is the problem that you're trying to solve for? Um, and how do you apply some cost metrics to that? But there are lots of ways that you can um, increase your profits, decrease your costs that have to do with customer experience, but you've got to get close to it. I think that's what everybody's saying here pretty unanimously is that you've got to understand what that experience is. What are people telling you about that experience so that you can then take that, measure it and make it better. And it's going to lower your costs in the process. Excellent. So um, one of you making me think a lot here and I get a little bit excited when we talk about measuring the customer experience because that's kind of what I do um, in several different ways. Um, and one of the things that I'm very passionate about is then getting that information to the people that need it. Um, so, you know, in a contact center, that means getting it to the people on the floor um, so they can actually use it. So, um, John, I guess, what tools and resources do you give to people so that they can actually deliver 
an excellent customer experience? How do you kind of get that information out to people so that they can do what they need to do to provide that great customer experience? Yeah, so some of that is kind of research driven at the early stage. So helping people understand the value of their work and so on, right? So if you're gonna do research to quantify the impact of a good engagement versus a bad one and all of that, um, sharing that with people I think is motivating. In terms of tools to help people deliver great experience, um, you know, it's, it's, none of this stuff is sexy, right? I, you know, it's, it's a great knowledge base that you pay attention to, to building and- What do you mean? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. No, it's some of it's very sexy. Okay. I can talk about some of the sexy stuff. So. All right. Well, that's cool. Right. Well, I look forward to that. I always, I mean, it's like walking and tackling and avoiding errors, right? Things people hate are like misses from one department to another. Your advertising promised this, your product totally doesn't deliver it. Like, well, I don't, yeah, I don't know. Um, you know, just grinding away and taking away those consistencies, particularly kind of knowledge-based coordinating policies and data across departments. Um, I do think there are some early stage technology tools like there is some cool stuff conversational ai can do so if you're in a sales organization gong.io is really cool right there's nothing yeah. like having ai listen into sales calls and tell you why they suck or why they're great yeah um and provided you use that to help people not as kind of punishment like that's awesome there's other tools for for customer care i think investing in those kinds of things makes a lot of sense for the most part though it's not investing in your crm system so you know, having been in that world and having been a customer of Salesforce many times, I would say always look there to save money to invest in other stuff. That's yeah, when you, mentioned, when you mentioned conversational AI earlier, I got really excited because my team actually works on speech analytics. So that's yeah. definitely like some of the sexy stuff that like we love to talk about. So yeah, there's some stump, fun stuff there, but I definitely agree on the product side. It's not, it's not quite as sexy. So <laughs> Shelly. Yeah, I think, I mean, there are a lot of tools out there. And I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to shine the light on you, Stacey, because I think, you know, when you've got something really robust and strong that can listen to thousands or tens of thousands of calls um, that can kind of give you all sorts of insight and feedback into your client experience or your customer experience, it's huge. Any kind of tool that's going to do a lot of work that will save time, like reading emails, listening to calls, and then spitting out powerful information. Those are huge. Um, and then I think staying close to the actual interactions as well. I mean, it sounds probably kind of corny and goofy, but like listen to calls, read some emails, look at some chat transcripts. I mean, there are all sorts of tools that allow for you to do that. Um, but I think, you know, people looking at a report is not the same thing as listening to a call. You know, I always try to go back to that. You know, you've got to sort of hone in on some of those basics. But there are, there are a million tools out there. But anything that's going to help you save time and give you information are right up at the top. And I know that you do a lot of that, Stacey, and um, we got to work together on some of those things and it was really, really helpful. Thank you. Yeah, it, it's amazing to me. Um, and I'm not on the panel, so I don't really get to talk, but I will say one thing. Um, it's amazing to me that 
people in the contact center world, people think they know what happens on their phone calls. And you know a lot of what happens on the calls. Um, but there's a lot that you just don't know um, because you can't listen to everything. It's just impossible to really know what's going on. So, I mean, you can do focus groups with your agents and things like that. And that does help tremendously, but there's just no substitute for being able to listen to a huge cross section of your calls. So I'll shut up now. Tim, do you have anything to add? No, I think think all that is great. And if I could sprinkle in a couple extra things from an agent perspective, great to have a CRM tool that helps me do what I need to do. It's great to have the knowledge bank tools that helps me, but there always tends to be the, the outlier where we have to make a decision outside of my, what might be there. So how do we empower the agent to use their gray matter? Uh, in addition, you do that in a space where they have the guidance to do uh, that, that decision-making so that it's consistent. And how do they recognize that moment of truth in a call where it could just, it's this close to just going completely sideways and they're empowered to do whatever they need to do to try to resolve that situation. I think those things from an Asian perspective um, fits in, but going back to the work on speech, I'm a huge advocate of speech because I think uh, from the cost of CX, you're getting free marketing. You have, pick your number for your annual call volume. Let's call it 100,000. You're getting 100,000 people who are calling your company that did business with your company willing to give you free information about it. How are you harnessing it to really take that next step in the VOC and the CX? And I think um, speech and AI are, are significant paths to go down that. And I humbly think that um, for those that are involved in that, not everyone quite looks at customer service or CX as a marketing channel, yet it 100% is. And if you can just pull that information and capture that information, you're not only solving for your contact center, but now you're going above and beyond. Because as Stacy mentioned, people are talking about things that will just surprise you in some of these conversations. So mm-hmm. I'd layer those in, Stacy. though I think Shelly and John covered it very well. Oh, Tim, totally. Word of mouth actually is huge. We had a few lifetimes ago, um, a group called Keller Fay that actually was one of the founders of the Word of Mouth Marketing Association that did the first kind of market mix modeling on word of mouth. And uh, we had them come in and talk to a group of some of our clients. And they actually identified customer service as a word of mouth driver actually reached more people than social media. So everybody thought their brands were going to be talked about on social media, which is like, yeah, kind of true. Maybe, maybe it was true early on, but offline word of mouth driven by customer service was actually bigger and it's not as easy to measure. So it's not as observable, but it's a huge factor. And then if you look at the role that word of mouth plays in, in purchase decisions, and actually the word of mouth marketing association has a fantastic study they did with Pepsi and a whole bunch of great big brands you can actually find online. Like the implication of customer service is one of the biggest drivers of word of mouth. Word of mouth is one of the you know, most influential things in the marketing mix. Like I couldn't agree more on the yeah. positive and on the negative. 100%. Excellent. That's a very interesting fact. I never would have thought that. Thank you for sharing that. Um, okay. So One question that we had, um, you know, we've been through this whole COVID thing, feels like we're kind of coming out the other side. 
what have we really learned from that in terms of communicating with customers and driving that customer experience throughout a crisis, so to speak? John, I'll start with you. Yeah, and I actually, I mean, I work still with some some customer service groups um, doing some consulting at night because even though I'm not fully in the field anymore, I still really love it, but I'm not letting go. And I'd say, you know, first of all, it proved the value of kind of having flexibility baked into your working model, right? And, and some people were able to just sort of take this as a bump in the road and they're used to sending people home when it snows and, were, and this was just an 18 month snowstorm. Um, but I think it also proved the value of, you know, being available to and engaging your customers in ways other than face-to-face, right? I mean, the businesses that exploded, the business models that exploded, you know, were virtual and, and had to stand up the capability. And I'd say again and again, you know, also people felt isolated, right? And all of the customer feedback I've seen was, you know, honestly, the human connection with a business that they chose to give their money to was more and more meaningful over the past 18 months, right? Um, as those who could were staying home or were locked out of things, um, you know, so I, I don't think you could, could overstate kind of the importance that this has put on, on the function that we're all talking about today. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Shelly, Tim, anything that you guys would add to that? I think it definitely was a tremendous learning experience in more ways than one. And one of the things that I think we took away is as we focus on the agent first mentality, we found that there's a pretty good hybrid with the work from home model, that there are benefits to it. Um, Our absenteeism rate went down. People had it, had my car won't start excuse, you know, if that ever happened, couldn't really happen. But what we actually found is that more people were more committed because it was easier, especially if you needed some extra time or you needed a split shift. And pre-pandemic, I had to come into the office, log on, do what I could do. Then I had to go home. If I needed you tonight, that was, that was tough. But we've got new models now that actually were a split shift might be the right solution for you. And that lets you come in 8 to 12 take care of your family needs and maybe from eight to 10 or whatever, I mean, you can, you can dial back on. So it was without a doubt a, a challenge and my hats off to the RDI team and how they were get able to get everyone home without missing service levels and not without missing a paycheck was just unbelievable. They're probably writing a book on that. But what we learned was that work from home can have a hybrid mix where it allows us to optimize the workforce as well as create value for them in a work at home solution. Now we still want the on-prem because I think there's that human interaction that you want from a training and a coaching and even celebration and recognition. But um, we there might be a good path down place for, uh, for a little bit of a hybrid. Makes sense. Shelly, anything to add there? I mean, I would just agree with all of the previous comments. And I think a lot of the learnings is that really has to do some of the stuff that that Tim was talking about. I think people didn't know what to expect, right? Like we didn't know what to expect when we sent everybody home. How is this gonna work? Are people gonna show up for their shifts? Are they actually gonna log on and take calls? 
you know, what is going to happen to quality? How are you actually going to keep relationships between your leaders and your frontline? Um, there were all those questions about, like, what is it going to mean if we can't physically be together to do this work? And I think in most cases, we can sum this up as a success story mm-hmm. because it turned out fine. And if anything, it's actually changed the job market in a way, because now there are people who are saying, if you don't have a remote option, I'm not interested. So, I mean, it's, it's changed the way companies recruit um, because people are making some decisions about their home life and how they want to balance work with home. Um, so it's created a, an environment where companies are being asked to be more nimble Companies are being asked to be a little bit more creative um, to kind of to enhance that employee experience. So, you know, just at a high level, I think there were a great deal of learnings, but I think most of us can walk away from it and say, this was pretty good. Like, I mean, given how it could have gone and given how high the concerns were at any given point, um, you know, I I think things worked out really well. And customers, I think, because we were all going through this together. It wasn't just companies. It was every human. You know, if they if they had a tough time getting through and it's like, oh, because of COVID, we have this or that, people are like, okay, we get it. You know, so I, it was it was kind of a, a communal moment, too, I think. Um, so overall, very positive. Completely agree. I was just saying um, to somebody the other day, it's funny, like now I can connect with somebody on Zoom just as easily as I can connect with them in person. Like it just seems completely normal, like as if we're together. So, um, so this hour went by so fast. Like this was fantastic. You guys were incredible panelists. Thank you so much um, for being here. Unfortunately, um, that's about all the time that we have. And we have this um, gift card to give away. And I want to make sure that we're able to do that. For your chance to get in on Biz Over Brews Live, click on over to rdicorp.com to see upcoming dates for our monthly events. Can't make it or want to take a listen to a previous podcast episode? You can find recorded podcasts ready and waiting for you on rdicorp.com. And if you'd like to be one of our guest panelists, you guessed it, rdicorp.com. We'd love to connect with you through our website today. Thank you.